6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapter 119, verses 73 through 176. The basics, the fundamental thing for which there is no excuse, the denial is excuse, there's a specific judgment that comes on a culture, Romans chapter 1 tells it. The specific judgment is homosexuality. Any culture that denies him as a creator is going to be judged. God will, I will give them over to homosexuality. Romans chapter 1, verse 20, read the rest. That may sound controversial. Check it out yourself. Let's move on. I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. In fact, the, the Hebrew is very emphatic here. It says, I have fettered my feet, like chained them. I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Probably the sweetest thing that they knew in that culture was honey. That's the example he's using. Though thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Boy, boy, boy. Nun. From the M, we go to an end or nun. And this is light for a dark landing. It's starting to get better here. And here's the, probably one of the most famous things you've heard a thousand times. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And if you always wonder which is the lamp, and they both are in alphabetical order. All kinds of attempts to make them logical have, in my mind, not quite worked. But the main point is we don't see the whole path, but a step at a time. A, a, a light in those days was a little oil lantern that would cast a its own shadow, so you couldn't see very far with it. A lamp into my feet, a light into my path. And uh, so each of us are to rely on the Word of God practically, personally, habitually, as we make our way through a world that's getting darker every day. That's 105. Psalm 119, 105. Remember that one. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. I have sworn and I will perform it that I will keep thy righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy word, except I beseech thee the free will offerings of my mouth, O Lord. Teach me thy judgments. My soul is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget thy law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I erred not from thy precepts. Thy testimonies have I taken as a heritage forever. For they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined mine heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. Next letter is the Psalmic. Human thoughts versus God's law. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. How much time do you spend reading the newspaper? Or reading trash? In comparison to the time you spend reading your Bible. What is your diet of the word? Think about it. Deal with it. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. Depart from me, evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to thy word that I may live. Let me not be ashamed of my hope. 
Hold thou me up, and I shall be safe, and I will have respect unto thy statutes continually. Thou hast trodden down all them that err from thy statutes, for the deceit is falsehood. Thou puttest away all the wicked of the earth like dross, therefore I love thy testimonies. My flesh trembleth for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments. It's pretty straightforward. You can, you can expand any one of these. You can do it yourself. Next letter is an ayin. The 16th letter has no direct correspondent in English. It's expressed in what's called in Greek the breathings. Uh, it expresses outbreathings of the soundness of the heart and mind amid the unbelief of a godless world. So this again is a plea of the oppressed. I have done judgment and justice. Leave me not to mine oppressors. For surety... For thy servant for good, let not the proud oppress me. The word surety is what is used here in the King James. And this is one of the cases where the King James is better than the NIV, which uses ensure. This is the point. Being a surety is one place in, someone in place of another. And uh, like Judah was a surety for Benjamin in Genesis 43 and 44. And there are other examples. Be a surety is a, is a more definitive uh, practical thing than just the fact he ensures it. No, to be a surety, putting himself on the line. Be surety for thy servant for good, and Jesus indeed was for us, our substitute. Let not the proud oppress me. Mine eyes fail for thy salvation and for the word of thy righteousness. Deal with thy servant according unto thy mercy and teach me thy statutes. I am thy servant. Give me understanding that I may know thy testimonies. It is time for thee, Lord, to work. For they have made void thy law. Or putting in other terms, Lord, the world has forgotten you, and the, uh, and, and, uh, the world has forgotten your word. Make the world conscious of your word. And the word to work here is used in the, is a Hebrew verb, actually, to used absolutely to execute judgment, to administer justice by punishing the wicked, in effect. Therefore, I love thy commandments. Above gold, yea, above fine gold. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. The next one is a pay, which is like a pea, and uh, the thirst for the living God. But the way Spurgeon would say it, it's precious, practical, profitable, power, and peculiarly so. As he reaches for his alliteration of a pea, if you will. But anyway, thy testimonies are wonderful, therefore doth my soul keep them. The entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the symbol, simple, excuse me. Thy testimonies are wonderful. Spurgeon said, Jesus, the eternal word, is called wonderful, and all the uttered words of God are wonderful in their degree. Those who know them best wonder at them the most. Interesting observation. The entrance of thy words giveth light and giveth understanding to the simple. And the word entrance here really is a word meaning unfolding or disclosure, the opening up, if you will. I opened my mouth and part, uh, panted, for I long for thy commandments. Look unto me and be merciful unto me, and uh, as thou usest to do unto those that love thy name, or according to the custom toward those who know that love thy name. Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Deliver me from the oppression of man, so will I keep thy precepts. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant, and teach me thy statutes. The face to shine implies proximity, by the way. We often, we, we, in the Hebrew, it's very clear. You can't have your face shine unless you're face to face. See? 
Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Teach me thy statutes. Rivers of waters run down mine eyes. Of course, he's talking floods of tears here. And if we fail to grieve for the wicked, their sins may become ours. If we fail to grieve for the wicked, their sins may become ours. Rivers of waters run down mine eyes because they keep not thy law. He has grief for the wicked. Now there's descriptions here. Thy testimonies, they demand obedience. Thy words prove guidance and wisdom. Thy commandments satisfy longing. Thy word offers direction and purity. Thy precepts result in deliverance of man. Thy statutes bring a benediction. They're synonyms, and yet they're not quite. They have each a slightly different complexion and result. The law begets compassion for the lost. Many of these are non-obvious results from the, 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 the predicate. Okay, tzadi, 18th letter, indicates typically justice or righteousness. We're going to talk about God's righteousness here. Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. My zeal hath consumed me, because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Let's take the first one. This is a very special verse. Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. And uh, we, we need to rest in this truth when we cannot see the reasons for our trials and troubles. There was an emperor, Maurice, and by this psalm, he was encouraged to bow to the will of God. Let me show you how. His virtuous rule for 20 years marked him to succeed Tiberius II. But the army turned against him, and in 602, he fled with his wife and children, five sons, to Chalcedon to escape the deformed and disfigured Phoas. But by Phoas's order, he and his five sons were seized and executed. He was the last to die. His five sons slaughtered before his eyes first. As one by one, the boys were murdered before his eyes. The noble father cried aloud with each stroke of the sword, Righteous art thou, O Lord, and true is thy judgment. Quoting Psalm 119, verse 137. The fact that an emperor even knew it that well to quote it fascinates me. This is all in Edward Gibbon's classic tale, that The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. Just an instant, there are hundreds of these in Lockyer's summary, which is, of course, where I got this. But, and this is, not, this is an Old Testament quote, but you'll find, is it a New Testament view? Absolutely. Revelation 16, And I heard the angel of the water say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be. There's the name of God. Because thou hast judged us, for they have shed the blood of saints and the prophets, that thou hast given them blood to drink, and they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous, are what? Are thy judgments. Let's move on to the rest of these. Um, the testimonies thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. My zeal hath consumed me, because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. That was quoted by our Lord. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget thy precepts. Thy righteousness is everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. Trouble and anguish have taken hold on me, yet thy commandments are my delights. The righteousness of thy testimonies are everlasting. Give me understanding, and I shall live. Then we have a kopf, sort of like our cue in a sense, the paragraph of the heart cry. 
This one and the one following are similar in that they are a primer on earnest prayer. It's going to tell us how to go about it. We're going to find out how, in, how the psalmist prayed, what he prayed, when he prayed, how long he prayed, what he pleaded, what happened, that's skimming ahead, and then how he was rescued, and then how he witnessed the truth. And that's, that's Spurgeon's summary of these with, with a couple of adjustments. I cried with my whole heart, hear me, O Lord, and I will keep thy statutes. I cried unto thee, save me, and I shall keep thy testimonies. I prevented, the word prevent there really means to anticipate, forestall, come to me. Not doesn't mean hinder here. I prevented the dawning of the morning and cried, I hoped in thy word. Mine eyes prevent, there it again, the night watches that I might meditate in thy word. Anticipate or forestall. Okay. Hear my voice according to unto thy loving kindness, O Lord. Quicken me according to thy judgment. They draw nigh that follow after mischief. They are far from thy law. Thou art near, O Lord, and all thy commandments are truth. Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. Now we're getting down to the final theory. Here's the resh, the R. We're going to and uh, it's an appeal for consideration against a prayer thing. Consider mine affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget thy law. Plead my cause and deliver me. Quicken me according to thy word. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they seek not thy statutes. Great are thy tender mercies, O Lord. Quicken me according to thy judgments. Quicken, uh, uh, to make alive, if you will. And uh, many are my... Well, the other thing here, great are thy tender mercies. Quicken me according to thy judgments. The quicken... Quickening is happening in this country, by the way. Dwight L. Moody said that the next great revival be, will be a revival of the Word of God. And we're seeing that across America, not in the churches, but in the homes. Small groups meeting in homes during the week, all over the world. That's, there's a thing happening here that we regard as extremely exciting, very positive. Many are the persecutors and mine enemies, yet I do not decline from thy testimonies. I beheld transgressors and was grieved because they kept not thy word. Consider how I love thy precepts. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. And uh, the Hebrew is more, even more descriptive here. It says, uh, I beheld the transgressors. I loathed them, abhorred them, uh, and contended with them. But not so much because they are mine enemies, but because they are thy enemies and didn't keep your word. The, 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 the psalmist is putting himself on God's behalf. And the uh, word is true from the beginning. God has never had to regret or retract, amend or reverse any word of his. And uh, his, the word with his imprint will be, endure forever. Then we have the shin, the believer's eulogy on God's word. Princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. And uh, he had more respect for the word of God than he did for the rulers of the world. The princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. I hate a poor lying, but thy law do I love. Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. That's a phrase in the Hebrew that really means, not seven, it really means often many times beyond what is expected. It's Hebraism. Doesn't mean they had a schedule with seven. Daniel was very good. He did it three times a day. What he's really saying here. More often than is expected is the thought that realized behind the Hebraism there. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Lord, I have hoped for thy salvation and done thy commandments. My soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. 
I have kept thy precepts and thy testimonies, for all my ways are before thee. This is a commitment to a balanced life. Now we'll get to the last one. Tau is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it's the closing appeal here. Let my cry come before thee, O Lord. Give me understanding according to thy word. Let my supplication come before thee. Deliver me according to thy word. My lips shall utter praise when thou hast taught me thy statutes. My tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are righteousness. The psalmist here is concluding by praying for his prayers. He's really praying for the prayers he's already uttered. And there's no more mention in this last octrain of his enemies. That's all behind him. Let thine hand help me, for I have chosen thy precepts. I have longed for thy salvation, O Lord, for thy law is my delight. Let my soul live, and it shall praise thee. Let thy judgments help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant, for I do not forget thy commandments. He opened with a benediction, verse 1 and 2, and now he closes with, in effect, a warning. But the shepherd is looking out for you. And remember what John tells us in Gospel John 8, verse 36, if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And what liberty and richness and fullness will the Word of God give to each of us if we will give it our heart and life. So now that we've completed the psalm, let's back off and ask ourselves a question. What does God put above all else? Boy, there's a lot of candidates to that question, aren't there? What does God put above all else? In our next session, we're going to encounter Psalm 138. And I'm not going to deal with the whole thing here, but I want to highlight one thing it, it emphasizes. Um, the psalmist there says, I worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness, for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word Above all thy name. Now, what's provocative here is anyone that's even read the Bible casually knows how jealous God is of his name. Now, the word name isn't just a label. It's his entire character. It's his com composite attribution. Uh, the name was something that you and I need to live up to, or live up to our name. Well, God's name, he values, obviously, very highly. But with that background, the second verse of this psalm is, makes a surprising statement. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. So this shouldn't surprise us then that uh, what we have, what does God put above all else? His word. And if that's true then, it should not surprise us that the longest chapter in the Bible is a chapter devoted entirely to his word. Uh, 22 sections of eight lines each, each one focusing on the importance, the significance, the application, uh, the requirements of his word. And that's what puts Psalm 119 so pivotal in our perspective of the Bible itself and certainly the book of Psalms in particular. The other thing I just want to remind us is something we mentioned very early in our studies of the Psalms in general is that I want to put out a caveat. 
Uh, we've had a style in most of our Bible studies to try to reach into the analysis, the exposition of the verses and the subtleties of the text and, and anything we think might help us embrace the reality of God's Word. And there is a danger in that approach here. So I want to put out a caveat, to remind you of a caveat, and that's the idea of chewing the cud. It's interesting that all the animals that were clean for sacrifices were animals that chewed the cud. That was one of the distinguishing characteristics. And what that implies is that you and I also should be chewing the cud, or to put it another way, to ruminate on his word. Jeremiah says, thy words were found, and I did eat them. The Apostle John in the book of Revelation, in chapter 10, is instructed to eat the little book, to digest it. And uh, this is especially true for the Psalms. It's... it's, it's um, very superficial to do what we've been doing, and that's just to go through them expositionally, hit a highlight a few background items, uh, pick up a couple of topical issues on the vocabulary, that sort of thing. But that it doesn't do them justice. One of the frustrations of this study is what we should be doing is taking each psalm and spending an entire session on each one. And when you get to Psalm 119, um, you, you could uh, clearly we do it do it an injustice by even taking it in a couple of sessions as we have. Uh, this is really intended just to be a warm up to encourage you to immerse yourself in the Book of Psalms, and with respect to Psalm 119, immerse yourself in it. It fascinates me to discover how many of the great leaders of the past in all countries, in Europe as well as the U.S., elsewhere, made it a practice, took it for granted to, that they memorized their favorite psalms, if not all of them. And it amazes me how many great leaders had memorized Psalm 119. Now, <laughs> it was made an acrostic psalm to, probably to make it easier to memorize. That doesn't help us in the English, of course. But uh, one of the things I wanted to try to avoid with the Psalms especially, is what I sometimes call analysis paralysis. That can blindfold our souls to the message, to analyze it and dissect it and deal with structural issues and rhetorical devices and all that sort of thing, rather than just to immerse in it. Because uh, to analyze it, the statistics of the passages and all that can be a barrier or a, blind, a blinder to what it's really trying to get across to each of us. So what we need to realize is the goal here is not exposition in the traditional academic sense. The goal here is prayerful absorption, not intellectual dissection. And that's something I, I hope we haven't been excessively guilty of. The real goal here is that this exercise, this plunging into the Psalms, should be a gateway to God's presence. And so I hope that will be a refresher in terms of our style here in Psalm 119. So in the next session, we're going to look at the songs of degrees. We've just been through the longest psalm. Now we're going to take, there's a group from 120 to 134, the songs of ascent. Um, sometimes called the songs of degrees, but the word degrees there really means the going to. It's a, it's a translational issue we'll talk about there. But the song uh, of, of ascents, the pilgrims, the, a Jewish male, was required to go to Jerusalem three times a year. 
at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Shavuot or the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, in the millennium, all nations, we are instructed, will be uh, honoring the Feast of Tabernacles, among other things. So an able-bodied Jew then and his family would travel, if they possibly could, to Jerusalem on those, at least those three occasions, if not others. And uh, when they did so, they, the caravans would meet in certain places and go together, and they would sing at various stages as they approached Jerusalem. Those were called the songs of ascents as they ascended up to Jerusalem. And uh, so they're, they're, they are uh, songs of joy and refreshment. They're songs that... Uh, are conscious of the plight that they're in, surprisingly enough. We, 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 even Psalm 120 will have some surprises for if you read it carefully. And uh, it's one that uh, uh, is, is uh, a, very, a real change of pace, if you will, from uh, the, 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 the Psalm 19 that we've just dealt with. And uh, let's stand for a closing word of prayer. Let's bow our heart. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. What can we say? What a tour de force you've given us. Help us, Father, to absorb the lessons from this magnificent pinnacle that you've given us on your word indeed. We thank you, Father, for your precepts, for your way. But above all, your word and your word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, full of grace and truth. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. Both that which is in our hands and for that which is in our hearts and for that which became flesh and stood on our behalf. We thank you, Father. We pray that you'd reignite in each of us a renewed appetite for your word, that we might grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we commit these things. Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.